0: The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joel and the Art of War Coaches.
1: Hello, hello, welcome everyone to the Art of War podcast. We're home for Competitive 40K on the Competitive 40K Network. I am your host, John Lennon. Normally, I am the co host, but today I have been promoted. Been promoted by my boss and by the guest of today's very, very special episode. We're coming off of, well, we've got the highest ranked member of Artivore in the ITC for this new 2022 season. We have uh, not Senior Patriarch, maybe Teo Patriarch. We got Uncle
0: Patriarch himself, Nick Nanavati, fresh off of a win at the melee at Shiloh GT. That's right, Sean. And in today's podcast, we are going to cover exactly what my list does, how it works, and all that good stuff. I know you're the host. You know,
1: we're we're all wearing different hats. Uh, we maybe did not plan this for enough generations, but uh, you know what? We've got this. We're gonna we've got a great show for you today. If you're perhaps new to the Art War Podcast, this is how it works. Part one: Nick and I are going to break down his list. We're going to talk about how it works, how the Gene Store Cult is designed to play on the table and how he arrived where he is. Part 2, though, if you're a Patreon, you can uh, find us in Part 2, where we're going to talk about all the different matchups that this army has. We're going to talk about how this Gene Cult player is 3-0 and against the new Menace Tau, uh, something I never thought I'd see. But Nick Nonavati has the secrets, and they are hidden in Part 2 for all of our wonderful fans.
0: John, I'm so excited to be here. I've loved talking about all four of my arms, and I'm here to talk about the yeah, Emperor.
1: <laughs> I mean, the Emperor has at least two arms. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows he's got at least two arms. All right, enough dilly-dallying. Let's get to it. Nick, what was this G2-winning Genester Cult list you brought for us?
0: All right, so it is a custom patrol battalion combo. I went for a custom trait because I just wanted to fit my army's play style. So it was the industrial affinity, so I ignored hit modifiers for all my industrial weapons. And then it was instinctive... Behavior, instinctive instincts, something like that. Reroll charges. Reroll charges was very important. But that's basically how this army was designed to play. Going through with the HQs, there's a battalion patrol and setup. We had two patriarchs, one in each detachment. Um, one of them was the offense guy. He had mass hypnosis and mental onslaught. I actually really liked those psychic powers. He also had the, void, the, the orb. Uh, whatever that's called. The
1: unwilling orb. The
0: unwilling orb. Oh, that was so cool. I loved that Like, Four I denies, plus one to deny, reroll, or plus one to cast on my on my powers that I took. It was great. Uh then we had a the other patriarch had psychic stimulus somewhere from beyond. He was more of the buff caster. Um for their warlord traits, uh, one took prowling adjutant, which didn't come up a single time, and I'm totally gonna cut it. That's the move six inches when you were declared as a charge target one. The other one took uh, a very simple one, just plus one attack, plus one toughness, But it was awesome. He had more attacks. That was awesome. And then I had an Icon Ward. This guy was clutch. A lot of people have been asking me about my opinion on the Icon Ward, if I liked him, why he was there. Uh, he was clutch. We will get into him. He's super awesome. He had the Alien Majesty World Trade for an extra three. inches Then for troops, we had a full array. We had all nine troop slots filled. Very proud of that. I love my troops. Love my obsec. Got uh, two units of ten Acolytes. Um, they both had four rock cutters in each, and again, I don't suffer those industrial weapon-heavy penalties because of my... custom Each one had four rock cutters, and one of them had the plus one attack, whatever they're called. The you know Our time called? is nigh? The, the, I just meant that. The, the, the proficient training. planning upgrades? Proficient planning upgrades, that's what they are. Yes, so one had our, our, time, our time is nigh for plus one attack. The other one has, I believe, a chap sprung for that 3d6 picked the two highest on charges. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I had three units of five acolytes. I gave them an assortment of weapons because I was trying to be clever. None of them ever shot a single time. All they do is rods. Those are all getting dropped. 45 point action monkeys. Then we have um, the real interesting part to my list, I think. Four units of 10 neophytes, each with two seismic cannons. Um, we'll cover them quite a bit. Um, I forgot to mention I had one more HQ also. He was okay. Um, I had four elites, two units of 10 pier strained Steelers. One of them had the pregame move, nine inches, where the game starts, or at the start of the first battle round. Uh, that perfect planning thing. So that was cool. 20 Steelers felt good. I had uh, three units of four Adelin Jackals. Each one had a demo charge to round out my fast attacks. Then I had a unit of two Ridge Runners. They had Mining Lasers and the Spotter upgrade for an extra 12 inches of range. And to uh, finish it all off, we had one Humble Goliath.
1: Okay. So whole thing fits in a Battalion and a Patrol, getting the extra slots, and crucially, letting you take the same character twice. Noticeably, that would be the double Patriarch.
0: Yeah, for sure. The Genesier circle lists have to be built really particularly. If you want to include multiples of the same character, each one has to go in their own attachments and... Bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I went for Battalion Patrol. I thought Double Patriarch was really important to this army. Uh, I've only been playing Gene Circle in the new edition for a few games now, probably like 10. And my first instinct, which is important to follow your instincts,
1: your, your hunter's instincts? My hunter's
0: instincts told me that Double Patriarch was the truth because we could make Patriarchs while we stand. The army is very cheap. Mm-hmm. Or you, you can spend a lot of points taking huge Acolyte and Neophyte squads and that. You can also make the army really cheap. So, Patriarchs could be Wally stands. That's awesome. They're like amazing Wally stands. They can just sit in the back, cast powers. They can get their hands dirty if it's like relatively safe and problem solve. They're great. And, um, you know, Triple Patriarch is a thing. I considered Ridge Runners being a good Wally stand, which they are in this list, which is the last target, I should say. But yeah, big fan of that. So, that's where it started.
1: Okay. So, you know, you've already talked about the secondary. So, let's just go ahead and lean into that. Um, I've heard you say that Gene Cult is possibly the best secondary army in the game. Can you just explain for maybe, you know, this is actually our first episode with the new Gene Cult Codex, at least in a pure sense. Can you explain how this army functions on a secondary level, what your your usual takes are, and maybe some of the tricks that the army has?
0: Definitely. It's got so many tricks. I could be here all day. I could do a whole podcast on it, even. Maybe one with two parts. But um, for secondaries, the way I look at Gene Cult is they have what makes them unique as an army. Their identities, the ability to show up all over the table, anywhere at any time. Pretty much, it sounds like it's really good for battlefield supremacy secondaries like engage in all fronts and uh, retrieve knockman data. It's, it's pretty good at deploy teleport homers, line breaker. Um, if you make it good full of troops, it can be really good at stranglehold So we are and like exceptionally good at things that um, other armies can't really do that well. So retrieve knockman data uh, requires you doing actions in all the quarters and. But the higher you go up the competitive ladder, oftentimes players will make tactics and, and make a large points of part of their game plan around blocking your opponent's ability to retrieve. Knock-ups. That could be through screening enemy deep strikers and outflankers. It could be by engaging lots of units and hunting down infantry squads that could be doing it. Um, but with Gene Circle, I can show up three inches away with five acolytes using lying in wait and just instantly do an action, steal an objective, get a stranglehold. It's, um, it's really just... They're so good at the battlefield supremacy and retrieve knockdown data that I, I start games basically at twenty two uh, or twenty seven out of thirty points on those two secondary categories. And then, you know, what's the third secondary? That's the magic question for so many armies because everyone can do rods and everyone can do strangle But um, I built really good to the last, and with the two patriarchs and the ridge runners, I can also audible into mental interrogation because I have. Um, Psychers, so one of them can cast the buffs, and the other one, who's normally the offense guy doing massive gnosis and mental onslaught, instead he can just sit there and cast psychic interrogation. And then I have the ability for one CP to hide a secondary. and An interesting dynamic there is the one I like to hide is often from the no, bite, no mercy category. Well, you don't know. I take stranglehold, obviously, I take rods, obviously, based on my or I take engage or something like that. I take those two categories. So something that
1: I want to point out about this Gene Cult cold stratagem is that you have to reveal your secondary choice to your opponent once you score points, and that makes it really st- a
0: lot stronger in some categories than other, depending on when you actually score them. Right? That's absolutely true. So as the category for No Mercy, No respite has um, and perjured enemy have assassinate, which scores at the end of the game, um, to the last, which scores at the end of the game, and no prisoners which scores at the end of the game. So if I re- hide one of those. You really have no idea which one it is. So imagine a scenario where I took no prisoners, but you assume I took to the last and you're playing that way. So you go all in trying to kill my patriarchs and you get half your army killed doing it. And then at the end of the game, oh look, my no prisoners is so high. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think having a credible to the last target in your list is so important, even when you don't take it. To the last is a very common secondary, so a lot of people will automatically leap to that conclusion. Right. Where they're gonna say, Okay, what uh, you know, well what what categories have you not taken as soon as they know there's a secret? And they're going to look and they're going to see who, okay, didn't take anything from the to the last category. Oh, what are your to the last? And you'd be like, oh, well, it would be two Patriarchs and a Ridge Run unit if I took it. And then they're going to be like, oh, yeah, he totally did that. Right. And sometimes it's true, but sometimes it's not. You never know. And that's the beauty of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so enough about the secondaries, uh, as much as I like talking about them. Let's talk about the overall play style of this army. Uh, in, you know, late 8th edition, Gene Starkle was super heavy on the Deep strike army. And that was the last time you played it. But that play style really faded out of style in early ninth edition. Uh, I know a lot of Gene Starkult players, myself included, thought that the reserve army was a lot weaker with only five turns to play and on a smaller table. You know, it was just better to start on the board and be on the board. And at that point, yeah, you know, maybe do another army that's not Gene Cult. But you're back. You're back on the cult. How does this army
0: play for you? Well, it plays with all four arms in the sky with their hands held high. So what I do with this army is. I, I view gene circult fundamentally as an army that's really good at scoring points. My secondary game is on point as we just went through. My primary game is contingent on the fact that I have tons of obsec. I, I made a list with nine objective secured units, all of which can not only show up eight inches away because of gene circult, or six inches away even because they're gene circles. I can do eight inches away and still function as normal instead of the usual nine when I deep strike or six because I can't charge, but I can still shoot really nice for stealing objectives and getting your rods and things. Um, I can reliably charge out of reserves. And what I do with that, and how I do that, is basically I have the acolyte Icon Award. He walks around and says, I'm performing an action that says units within 9 inches, because I have the Alien Majesty Warlord trait, usually it's 6 inches, but then I it 9, have plus 1 charge. So he walks around and just gives us a giant aura of plus 1 charge. And I have these 10-man units of neophytes all over the place, 10-man units of accolades. They come in and they string out. So I have two guys at the very end of, like, imagine my army, like in my Acolyte Icon Award, back in my deployment zone, because that's kind of where he hangs out, emitting this nine aura forward. So that's like kind of in midfield. And then I deep strike some neophytes strung out in a giant two inch coherency line two inches, two inches, two inches, two inches. They can get like 15, 20 inches out there. And then they hit a rerollable 7-inch charges. They're 8 inches away, and then they get plus 1 to charge. And they have free rerolls because I have the Hunter's Instincts trait. So I have all these junky obsec units coming in on turns 2 and turns 3, flooding on my opponent's side, stealing all of his objectives, tagging units, getting into nooks and crannies, making vehicles shoot them, making units fall back to do stuff. Uh, making my opponents struggle to do actions. And they actually shoot pretty hard in they come in. All these seismic cannons actually add up pretty hard with um, crossfire and exposed and all that. So I kind of kill key targets, then jam up uh, units and steal objectives and just keep the pressure on. My opponent's scoring garbage for primaries. I have board control at this point, so I'm scoring pretty well. My secondary game is on point. That's the game. A lot of times I have almost nothing left, or I do end up getting... Pretty close to the table, but that's okay. That is perfectly within the plan. Generations in making. Oh, you stole I list. stole it. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. You stole it like an objective, right? Exactly. So you get it now.
1: <laughs> okay, so the army scores secondaries really well. You've got two that are very, very strong. It's, you know, engage on fronts, retrieve knock, data. You can do those in almost any game. And then you've got a third secondary that is a secret, oftentimes, if there's not an easy one. And then... You know, because your opponent's are not actively hunting it out, you just get a little bit better score on it than maybe you would have if they knew. And now you're looking at a really strong secondary plan. And your list, uh, because it's all over the place, it's not bad at denying secondaries, but it's really good at denying primaries. Mm-hmm. How do you hold primaries? Do you consider yourself a good primary me, or are you just banking on that differential where you get some 8s, not 10s anymore, and you just give your opponent zeros and 4s, and you call that good enough, or are you racking out 12s here?
0: It's funny you say that. I, I don't actually think it's a good primary army, but the more I've played it, it, it does actually do really well on primary. Um, so I start my game really, really defensive. Almost every deployment is different with Gene Circle Call because it's based on my opponent's ability to interact with me in the first couple turns and how much I feel like reserving in that match. Um, and I have gen. When I approach every game, is, is kind of different. So part two is really going to be awesome when we go through how I approach the matchups. But generally, when I deploy, it's just my. Ten man pierce string unit on the blip on the line. And this is the one that pregame moves with they came from below. So if I go first, I can move them forward, move them again on turn one, charge something and really nuke it, and oftentimes go right back in reserve. I can threaten my opponent with that. I'll very sportive let them know I can do that. I don't want to gotcha them. But they might be a little bit more defensive, because like I don't want to get hit by Steelers turn one. And then of course if I go second, I can just move use my nine-inch pregame move to go backwards behind a ruin, So I create a lot of distance between me and my opponent. And then I have another Goliath truck full of pier strains, usually behind a wall in the backfield. So no one wants to get anywhere near that thing, because I can disembark three from that, flat advance six with one CP, just move 17 inches from wherever the truck is, and just ten Steelers are right there, and they're going to hit you, need you, and that's good. It's very hard for people to get angles on me if I position them right, and you don't really go near me because I have Gene Steelers waiting to kill them. And then I have my demo bikes, you know, my demo bikes, my jackals with the demo charge. Just hiding around the, wherever they can hide, basically. And they're ready to move 9 inches forward or backwards. They're what I use to get stranglehold, and oftentimes I'll move block the opponent on turn 1. So really trap them in their point zone, keep them really far away from me. I don't want them moving up the table before my army gets here. I want to keep as much of the board as I can. And they all get killed in the first couple turns, That's that's fine. So... That's pretty much how turns one and turns two go. I really just play very minimalist. Get strangled or engage with some jackals. Try not to lose too much. I'll have five acolytes deployed. They'll, they'll do rods in my deployment zone and then go back in reserve or something. It's a real patient kind of game plan. And then turn two, or turn three, depending on how fast or slow I want to take the pace of the game. There's a lot of factors that go into that decision for each match. But when I decided I, to talk about that in part two. Exactly. Exactly. When I. Before I go on, the Ridge Runners deploy and they go straight into reserves with the uh, all-angles trait. Classic. And then all of... So I have Ridge Runners, I have 40 Neophytes, I have like 35 Acolytes. Um, All of that's in reserve. And like characters too, like the Patriarch and Prime is right there. All that comes in on turn two or turn three. And all in the most inconvenient places. And then I shoot you, shoot key units with all these seismic cannons. The Ridge runners come in in this turn, they shoot down key units with their mining lasers. And then I hit like a, a ridiculous amount of rerollable sevens. One unit has like a 3d6 pick the two highest. So they kind of go, if I need to go into a faraway land, not near my acolyte icon award. that's their job. Or if they can hit something really hard, they have a bunch of rocks. Off. And everything just jams up in there, obsec stands on your objectives. And I find I'm gunk up everything so well in a lot of games, a lot of units get engaged all back they're inefficiently fighting neophytes they're also trying to deal with the fact that i can spend two cp on lurk in the shadows to avoid being shot with like 10 pierce range or something it becomes threat overload and a very you have one turn to deal with all of this kind of threat overload which means they don't deal with it all it's all obsex, so i typically just ends up getting a 12 at this point in the game and from there i can kind of steamroll it through. So i do end up scoring well on primary but it doesn't
1: And it does feel like if you try to play, like, a little bit of the game every turn, I should say, or, like, you try to put a couple units on objectives, which is a very standard way to score primary, feels like that doesn't work for Gene
0: Circle. No.
1: Uh, I, you know, I've seen people take that very aggressive, like, I'm going to flood the objectives and get my primary that way approach before, but you usually see that on, like, a a hyper damage output army like Orcs, or a slanash Demon Rush, or, like, the Scouting Necron Rush. You know, those kind of armies are usually the ones that try this, the Gene Sler-Colt does it in a very different way, and I actually kind of like that.
0: Yeah, I would say I typically either get a four on the top of my turn two or a zero on the top of my turn two. There's no eights coming my way. Um The four happens if I get an objective I can hide on, and the zero happens if I don't in, in my <laughs> deployment zone. Or a hold two mission. <laughs> or a hold two mission, yeah, exactly. No, no fours coming in the hold twos. So you really have to make up for that in the back half, which is exceptionally hard if you have First turn. But the nice thing is if you get stuck with first turn, you actually get the ball rolling on momentum very quickly. Because oh, you, you you do nothing turn one, your opponent does nothing turn one, and then your army just shows up and nukes them. So um, there's a lot of different tempos to play GSC, which really like. But it's a lot of doing nothing, installing, do nothing, installing, and then completely overloading at
1: once. Yeah, I, I like that. And there are some, you know, there are so some real advantages to going first in the current mission sets where a lot of these objectives are in the center. So if you go first, you can try to set up, you know, some little hidey holes in like the middle of the board where you know you've got your blip system. Mm-hmm. So if you go first, you could deploy something in a blip very aggressively and then move where you wouldn't have deployed that going second. Yeah. And so you can either be very far back going second or very far forward going first. And maybe you can find a little, you know, a center ruin that you never could have reached if you went second. But if it's out of line of sight and on an objective in the middle, you know, why not put some Madeline Jackals there, right?
0: Right, right, absolutely. The blips make it a lot easier. And this army, um, surprisingly, you still have some amazing stratagems, but most of them are 1 CP, a couple of them are 2 CP. I actually find I don't have CP problems, which is really nice. I get to do things like move my blips around.
1: Okay. So you're playing this, you know, this assortment list. That's It's a little bit of everything, it's all over the place. It's banking on just OBSEC units going where they need to go. And that's. You know, you've got the reroll charges, you've got the plus one charges, you've got tons of units. You even have, you know, lying in wait to get the closer than six inches, the three-inch away deep strike. All these options. Do you think this is the best way to play it? Do you think that this is the most efficient way to go for that
0: play style? Well, so I think, is this the best play style for Gene Call? I think that's the beauty of the codex, there's so many ways to play it. This is the one I'm personally enjoying the most. I think this is a super fun, problem-solving, dynamic play style, which really challenges the general. I find it really rewarding. Um, you could run a totally different list with 30 aberrants with 5 up and feeling no pain. Muscle beach it up. Be really tough. You could run a bunch of da- allen jackals, you could run 20 neophyte blobs. I love the diversity of this code. I totally um, for this version of the list, actually no, I, I took this list to melee at Shiloh. I did really well. I won that tournament, thankfully. Um, but the, I, I kind of wrote this list really quickly, I, I was... Uh, I lost a bet to you, John, and you made me play some Gene Stealer Call, which, in hindsight, I'm really glad we did here because I'm affection after my own heart. I'm I'm, I'm loving the forearms. I
1: just wanted you to be welcomed home in a forearmed embrace.
0: Well, I hope you know I'm I'm coming for your nickname. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, I threw this together relatively quickly after a couple of test games and and just reading the book once or twice. So, I can I'm glad I came up with some with the right framework, but I've really refined the list since then, um, and I'll actually be using it in our upcoming Streamhouse RTT next week. And I'm super excited because I'm going to win that thing. Repeat mm-hmm. championship. Okay, so,
1: so you refined the list? Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen some of the changes you've made. But talk us through the thought process. How did you get from where you are to where we're getting?
0: Sure, so same concept. My new list that um, I'll be using in the Streamhouse RTT is basically a refined version of my GT list. And this is the way I'm planning on going. So, I've actually swapped out from my custom trait to Four Armed Emperor. Um, We'll get to the reason why as we we do. So, it's a battalion and a patrol. This one's got the same thing double patriarchs as the HQs. Um, Same kind of setup Massive Gnosis, Mental Onza, Unwilling Orb. All that's still there. Then we have an Acolyte Icon Orb because, again, that guy is the guru. Um, We dropped our Primus because I actually think HQs and Gene Sealer Cult and characters, all the elite characters for pretty much, including the Nexus and Calamores, that everyone seems to love, I think they're a bit of a trap and a waste of points. Um, they distract from the power of the Codex, which is all of the units you get to take. Um, and they generally... So despite how cool they are, I tried to keep characters to a minimum. And we got two big units of Acolytes. One's got rock cutters, one's got rock drills in this one because I wanted some diversity. Three units of Acolytes, two pure Strains. So, same framework here. I went down to two units of Jackals with, with down low charges. I think the third one I found a lot of times redundant. I think two was a sweet spot. So, um, I went with Ridge Runners again, but I switched their their mining lasers to Achilles Missile Launchers. I really hated the inconsistency of the mining lasers, random shots, on average four instead of just six, and the profile of strain six AP33 three, three damage on those missiles actually really perfect for shooting things like crisis suits and custodies. And that's really, those are really some problems out there these days. So I, I wanted a better profile into those specific targets. Um, and ha- now we're getting into the saucy stuff. So I didn't take any neophytes with seismic cannons, though I do like the seismic cannons. I took neophytes with uh, just 10 mini neophytes. Each one, had two of them have off single flame, and that'll help me trigger some crossfire. We haven't even discussed crossfire in, in to all so that. But we have three into ten neophytes, and I really went in on, on the fact that they're just OBSEC bodies to be thrown around freely instead of trying to confuse their role. Because in my predecessor list, they they had seismic cannons, they were like, we're a shooting unit, but also we're like these cheap bodies. Now we're not that cheap. So they're a little confused. And I have replaced that shooting because I needed to make that shooting out. The that army wasn't really. With three Goliath rock grinders, my babies. I love these things, and they all have the seismic cannon as their weapon of choice, which I really like too. And to round it out, of course, we got to have the glorious truck. So that's the that's the new list, and of course, we'll have both of them posted for you. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so uh, let's start at the top here. You switched cults, I switched cults, but you didn't change your play style. So let's talk about what Formed Emperor is, because I I think I asked you this is. If you're already taking the reroll charges, is it better to just go forearm dumper? And you, you've got an answer here. So what did you lose? What are you gaining by switching to forearm dumper?
0: So my old traits were reroll charges and ignore hit modifiers for industrial weapons. That worked really well because my army's concept is we got to reroll these charges. And then I had all these shooting on the form of neophytes. I, they had seismic hands that are heavy weapons. And I don't want them hitting on fours and fives. I want them hitting on threes reroll ones. So that's where that came from. And I realized that the neophytes kind of sucked with having the guns, but I need the guns. I want the neophytes to be cheap bodies that get thrown on objectives, don't cost me 90 points when they die, they cost me 60. But I want the guns. So that's where we bring in the Goliath Rock Grinder. So the Goliath Rock Grinder has the guns the neophytes have. A heavy seismic mechanic is awesome, it just hits on fours, but threes with uh, crossfire, which is an amazing mechanic.
1: And it doesn't take a heavy penalty, which you used to ignore in the infantry, but you no longer would
0: here. Right. So while I still deal with force and random stratagems, the the big problem of I just show up and I count as having moved is gone. So on top of that, Goliath Rock grinders can are are really good vehicles in my opinion. They they got good stats across the board, minus one damage. They're amazing in combat for it being a tank, eight attacks, strength eight AP two, two, damage. And then in this cult. One of the fun things I can do. The whole army was about beta striking too, right? Not doing anything, not doing anything, threat overload. I actually outflank the Goliath Rock Grinders a lot of the games. Spend 2 CP, they're 6 power level a pop, so 3 of them is 18 power level. Spend 2 CP, they show up 9 which kind of sucks. They shoot their seismic cans, they get good angles, and they hit rerollable 9s into combat. You never want to spend a CP on that, but you know, if it's free rerolls, free rerolls. Um, so, anyways. I don't have to keep the ignores heavy weapon penalties part of my mixed trait, so that freed me up to move towards formed emperor. Now I had to stick with the rebal charges because I really considered move, getting rid of that, but that's just what this army's made of. And then now I have CP manipulation through the forlord trait that allows me to basically make a different stratagem every battle round cost one less, so I got five CP back throughout the game. Um, that allows me to outflank the rock grinders and not feel so bad about the CP expense. Gives me agent's effect, which is really clutch in a, in a lot of matchups. And by agent's effect, I mean... I was about worse. to correct you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really like the switch to forearm damper. I don't think it's like make or break, but I think if you're going to go with three roll charges, it's this or the custom. I also
1: like the light cover bonus on the, on the rock grinders.
0: Because you get a two-up yeah.
1: armor save if you shoot them from uh, kind of far away, and at that point, two-up armor save minus one damage. You know they're only 110 points, but like that—that's not insignificant to kill.
0: Yeah, no, they're amazing. And then what happens is you have these random five-man acolyte units, where these straggler neophytes, like two neophytes. And normally, you're like, what are these guys doing? They don't do anything. But now they can get into a rock grinder and drive around. And that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> or a patriarch. Get a patriarch. Get a patriarch in it. Counts five models. Okay. I, I'm personally
1: really happy to see Goliath Rock Rockrangers on the table. It's a data sheet that got a lot of attention because it was much improved. But so far, I haven't really seen anyone give it an honest shake. And definitely not with success. I put them on the table once. I think I messed them up. But also, I'll, I'll give it to you, I did deploy them on the table. And you are talking about a new angle here. You know, just paying the CP to reserve. I've been trying to conserve my CP because Gene's Thurcult has such good stratagems. But Forearm Demper has its own way of doing that built in. Right, right. So, it's all
0: very deliberate here.
1: Mm-hmm. I like seeing how all the different interlocking pieces of the list come together. Where you know the Goliath Rock Grinders don't work unless you know coming out of reserves unless you reroll charges, and it's not worth putting them in reserves unless you have other CP manipulation, and it's not worth that unless you have Farm Dumper, who lets you reroll the charges, and it all it, it all, all comes back. together. I think all like there's like four or five decisions here that only make sense if you you know you choose the same thing on all five decisions.
0: Yeah, but it all comes together. I really do love this list. I think it's. It may not be this final form yet, but I, I definitely have enjoyed playing it on table. I think it's been a really fun. Yeah, I mean, this is just a second-generation list. Yeah, yeah we you've, have many no, more, more generations. Many more.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about some of like the different tech pieces that you've got here. So, obviously, your army's great at coming in from reserves on turn 2 and 3, when you're allowed to, and hitting all these charges moving around the board. One of the problems that Gene Strickle has historically had is that once they land, they kind of are there. And what I'm curious is how do you keep up the pressure on turns four and five? Do you either try to go for such good two, two and three turns that it doesn't matter? Or how do you try to like keep the pressure up for the late turns as well? How do you uh, get around the board after you've landed?
0: I don't really need to get around the board after I've landed. I typically land and throw my army onto the objectives, so I, I don't have to move anymore. I'm already where I need to go. Um, Five-man Acolytes that do rods, they get straight in the middle of nowhere. But typically, they die right after they're done. And if I have five Acolytes in the middle of nowhere, I just spend one CP, pop them back in reserve, and they'll get themselves somewhere useful next turn. Um, yeah, it, it's, I think it's a different game, especially with the new mission set. You don't have objectives spread all over the table that you're trying to get to by the end of the game, chase units down. This army just brings the fight to the objectives. It doesn't bring the fight to the enemy. It's all about playing the points. It brings the fight to the objectives, so then movement is done. That's pretty much how I view that. Okay, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a couple you know, little tricks here that I'll, I'll highlight for some of the viewers which just help with the objective shenanigans where you can advance and charge your acolytes for one CP. Right. You can spend a CP to flat advance six with any of your vehicles or your bikes or your pure strains. We've barely even talked about that. just feels like a disservice to the pure strains really.
0: Good gene stealers.
1: <laughs> they're, they're, they're such good genes. Um, But there's so many ways to get your models, even when they're down, moving around onto the objectives. Cause that, that is, as you mentioned, what yeah. it's all about.
0: I have used psychic stimulus on neophytes. So you move advance, and then psychic stimulus lets you advance and charge. And then my neophytes have gone 20 inches in one turn, and my opponent did not expect OBSEC to go fling itself across the table like that. That's what this list is about. Randomly a Goliath truck. I spend one CP. It moves 18 inches. Psychic stimulus, it charges. And it's like, wow. Didn't think a Goliath truck would be crashing through my walls. What is going on? And you can really just get stuff off that you have no business pulling off with this arm. It's, it's really, you can get, do as well as you are creative with it, I find. I've pulled off absolute shenanigans, and I'm eager to find what other shenanigans I can pull off. Okay, all right. Um,
1: let's, let's kind of talk about um, you know, the characters that you've gotten here. So You've got your patriarchs, who are usually a support piece, mm-hmm. and you at least like to preserve the illusion that maybe the hidden objective is to the last, so it doesn't pay to throw them away immediately. But you've got, um, I actually want to talk about the unwilling orb, if I'm being honest because it's just my favorite relic in the book. Um, Let's kind of talk about like what kind of support the Patriarchs lend to the army. Because at 300 points for two of them, they're not an insignificant investment, even though they've got good value. What value do they provide?
0: So they, they're really interesting, because I hate when I actually make them to the last, because it makes me a bit more careful with them, and I don't want to use them. But I love their melee. They're so good in combat. They run in there. They reroll wounds, they're flat two damage, three on sixes. You got more sixes because you re-roll wounds. Hit on twos, that's just clean. They just slap stuff up. Um they can form a bit of a psychic onslaught duo. Um, one of them will typically one of them's casting might from beyond. Happening. Unless it's like turn one,
1: yeah, and that's plus one attack. Which, yeah, it's plus one on a, An army with a lot of combat units, money in the bank. Exactly.
0: Like he'll cast it on himself and then go in with seven attacks base from his warlord trait, and then eight with mental with might from beyond. And be like, I have eight attacks. Let's fight. So he casts that, then he'll cast my his buddy will cast might, and then I'll cast mental onslaught, which is a psychic power. It does it's one of my favorites. I, I didn't think I'd like it this much, but I really do. You roll four dice for every five up you get kill a model with that, then you roll three dice, and then for every five up is immortal. And if you kill a model with that, then you roll two dice, et cetera. And I find, like, if you are going after, like, something like shield drones or custodies or any, or space marines, and they have, you can cast smite or do something to them. Get them down to a model with one moon left. That's actually very easy. And then, yeah, once it's at one moon, cast mental onslaught. I happen to get a five or two. Well, I get two fives. You're actually, on average, going to get two fives on four dice. It's very taking math, but it's true. And then you do two mortals, and then there's a guy left with one wound again. You're like, oh, I get to roll again. I'll roll two more dice, or three more dice. And you just keep rolling this train. And then so you end up doing like nine mortals in your psychic. He's like, where did this come from? I have two gene stealers, two patriarchs. And then, of course, they're really good at just... Uh, the unwilling orb is amazing. It lets me it, other people's secondary game, like a lot of times people are building random inquisitors into a list or something to get psychic interrogation off. They take psychers nowadays. It, not everyone is trying to avoid taking psychers to kill Grey Knights like they were. Thousands of like they were. That's a bit of a stale meta now. So you're taking psychers to try to get psychic interrogation. It's amazing. And building secondaries is more important than ever. So now I'm really shutting that down because I have a deny from anywhere across the table it's plus one. So screw yourself. This is just awesome to
1: so, another thing, the reason I want to talk about the Unwilling Orb, even though it is my favorite relic, is because you have three characters in this list, and it is the only relic in the list.
0: Yeah. Instacult relics suck. I don't know what to tell you. Man, I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to ask, because, you know, there, there are some interesting ones. I, yeah. I do. I've thought about, like, giving the Primus a really good sword, and, and now how seeing my, how my army spends CP, um, I would. And my new list doesn't even run a Primus, so whatever. Um, you can take the Crouch Slung, it gives you more rerolls, but you're already paying for a Second Familiar, so a Patriarch actually can be or to the last. So you already have a reroll. You have command points in this army, I promise. Like, it's hard to spend them all, I find. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. Um, I, I just don't think you need any. I'd rather, I don't know. Like, there's nothing wrong with taking relics because I don't spend all of my CP in most of my games. You just haven't found
1: one you liked yet? Not really. Like, do you think that we could put one of the top ten relic pistols in the game on that icon board?
0: I mean, why not?
1: Let's <laughs> <laughs> get there.
0: Okay,
1: put them on there. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So, you know, we're working down the line. Uh, you only have three characters in here. A little bit low for Gene's The cold army also helps a little bit with the, the secondary denial that we talked about earlier. Right. Where I think you know, assassinate is probably going to auto-populate in people's brains when they see that they're playing against Gene's the Circle and it's just not actually that good here. Um my kind of question is is in the evolution of the list when you started with more characters and you started cutting them down cutting them down you no know, no more pellamorph no more nexus no more primus um how do you approach the value of a character compared to a unit like how do you make that distinction because every gene circle list that i've seen including all the ones that i've personally written have more than 3 characters yeah how do you kind of appraise the value of and neophytes versus character.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I have gone for only three characters because I think characters are a bit of a trap so It also helps with secondary denial, like you said. So that's definitely part of it. Um, let's let's kind of go by with some common characters, right? So the Nexus is a character a lot of people like consider an auto-include. You just put a Crossfire token down every turn. Boom. And Crossfire is a really amazing mechanic for Gene Circle. It gives you just automatic plus one to hit on it. It unlocks a lot of your abilities, like shutting down Overwatch or making its fight last. It's really useful. And it's important to be able to put Crossfire tokens down. To Gene as It unlocks a lot of your abilities. So why am I taking this guy? Well, I'm already taking a 10-man Neophyte unit for a hundred different reasons. This is what my bread and butter is. So if I just give them a flamer for 5 points, or 2 flamers for 10, if I want to really make sure, then I can deep strike in, shoot auto guns at 24 inches, even if I'm not in rapid fire. Um, I get like 3, 4, 5 hits, 4 hits, and then my flamer works, and I didn't roll like a crappy thing. Make sure your flamer gets me 12. And then, boom, I got 5 hits. That's a crossfire token, right there. I have every bike unit has a demo charge. I just toss it. Got a hit. Okay, cool. That's, a, de- that's a, a crossfire token. You have so many ways of just pooping crossfire tokens, you know, by just naturally playing the army. Worst comes to worse, I shoot the first Goliath rock grinder. I get a crossfire token. That's why I don't really value the Nexus. Then things like the Primus, ones on everything. That's cool, I guess. What am I actually rerolling ones on? Two units of Acolytes? I'm not taking heavy weapons in my troops anymore. So... Once you start cutting these things and you kind of accept it, like what does the Keller Morph actually do for me? He deep strikes in, he shoots a bunch of pistols, kills like four infantry models. He tries to kill a tough model if he's got the relic pistols. maybe not. depends if they have an interval. And then he moves. He doesn't move anywhere to any efficiency. He can't get you engaged. It's one model that's not upset, he's not really contesting objectives. What is he doing for you? So when you get to the root core of it, the stuff that actually does stuff for you that isn't gimmicky is your army. Is what I found, like the stuff, the units you take.
1: Okay, so just focus on the fundamentals.
0: Focus on your fundamentals. There's a lot of flashy stuff in GSC, and I like flashy, cool stuff. Believe me, I thought of untargetable sanctuses and all kinds of goodies, but it's just not necessary. your Bread and butter is mm-hmm. better. Okay, Excellent. So everyone likes bread.
1: Everyone likes bread. I I did want to ask a couple more questions about some of the upgrades that you've chosen and some omissions you've made. Yet again, you know, I'm going to keep drilling you on this because we differ so much. I want to I want to find the logic behind it. Uh, you have demo charges on a lot of your jackals. and Jackals. You don't have them on your Goliaths. And honestly, speaking as a friend, I have to ask, is it because of what the Goliath truck did to you with the demo charge?
0: <laughs> no, no. No? You,
1: the auto explode, the auto explode didn't scar you?
0: I'm, I am one who gets exploded. I am not one who does the exploding. Um, I like the d- demo charges on the Jackals because they can actually throw them. Um, I, I learned, apparently, when you have an empty tank those demo charges so you're actually just paying five points to auto explode or to have the ability to auto explode. Which is cool I guess, but I it's I don't know, I've played a bunch of games and it hasn't come up. So what has come up is my Atlanta Jackals throwing a demo charge. That's come up quite a few times.
1: Just tossing the demo charge in. Do yeah. you ever do you ever spend the CPs on the demo charges? Oh, for I like do. plus yeah. one damage or
0: yeah. the yeah. max six shots? I, I do the I haven't done the plus one damage, but I've done the max six shots um a few times. I've done it when I really, really, really need to get a crosswire token on something, and also I want to hurt it. Um, I've done it against Ten crew once. Yeah. I, I had four jackals with a demo charge and their Atlan weapons, and then the charge move, kill crew and take an objective, and I was so proud of them. Good <laughs> <laughs> for them. You know what? It was good. Good for those bikes. It was great. Uh, that was turn one for Stranglehold. I was real proud. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. So just little bits of things and and it just seems like you're kind of pruning the list just based on experience. You know, yeah. like every every generation, every game, you look at the list, you refine it a little bit, you, you tweak it. Here's my question. What's one thing that isn't in this list that you want to include? Maybe you didn't quite make the cut. Maybe if you found, you know, fifty extra points somewhere, you know, you determined that something wasn't worth it in the future game. What would be the first thing you
0: want to add in? Five more acolytes. I'm missing a troop choice. I only have and I'm really, really upset about it. Like I, I, It pained me so much to kick that troop choice out of my list. I almost cut three pier strings. <laughs> <Like, laughs> I would never forgive you. <laughs> yeah, for real. I, I, the fact that I have a battalion and a patrol and I only have eight troops, it boggles my mind and makes me so sad. So just, Just double down, more of what you love? More of what I love. But like I can't afford to cut like four jackals because I have like the barest of minimum deployed already. I also can't actually put more stuff in reserve, I definitely want to go in reserve. Um, well, what I typically reserve is about half of my army. Apparently, that's a rule, so you have to follow that.
1: you've got to keep a thousand points on the board, yeah. Even if some of it leaves on turn one, that's true. They will.
0: <laughs> Good. Okay. Flanking Goliath Rock Grinders was a wrench I didn't. Three hundred and thirty points in reserves right there. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, like, I, it's not like I think auto exclose is bad. It's, I, I want my five acolytes. That's what I
1: want. Yeah, I just, I just look at this and I want to cut lying in wait and put it in. Four
0: lying in wait is is amazing. And I literally, we played a game day in the an amazing game. Me and Richard Siegel. I was playing my first time with Teen Circle versus his Tau. I beat Tau twice at the melee challenge GT, and then I had to play against the king himself. But. I made a really, really, really cool multi-step move block type of move. You should see it in the war room. That's where we teach that good stuff. And you know what was integral, Mr. Lennon? Lying in wait literally made that plane come together. you wanna to cut it. Yeah. You, you wanna cut it for a for an auto explosion. For four auto explosions. I'm proud of you. Okay. I mean if you're <laughs> gonna charge those
1: rock grinders in, you might as well do something on like
0: death, right? I they did quite a lot. They did a, quite a lot of dead <laughs> stealth suits in combat. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, all right. So I'm, man. I'm. I'm always struggling with this because I, I still look at jeans. They're called very differently than you. You know, we've seen a couple of different archetypes emerge. Twisted helix has been popular. It's the one that I like the most. Mm-hmm. We've seen the custom cults that are taking like four of the little ones where you get like a six of feel no pain on your trucks. You know, you get the industrial affinity that you liked. You get the little baby transhuman and. Just everything out the window, you just, like, command points and making charges. That's it. Yeah. Yep, that's your bread and butter. Nothing that's else it. matters. You, you played some games with Twisted Helix.
0: I played, I started Twisted Helix, Do You yeah. miss,
1: like, hitting a little bit less hard. Has that become a problem where, you know, against tougher armies yeah. that are willing to bully the objectives, if you can't hit hard enough, has that become a problem yet?
0: It has in my, every game I learn new stuff. So, like I, get, I level up as I play this harmony. Again, I'm generations older. Yeah. Um, so, in my earlier games, when I was less experienced with this list, this dialogue list, it definitely was. Because oftentimes you don't think of creative outside the box solutions until you're super experienced with lists. Not that I'm super experienced, but experience gives you knowledge like that. And you solve problems that you can't think of creative solutions for by hitting it harder. So, if you can't hit that hard, it's kind of a crappy way to solve that problem. But what I found with this toolboxy, I'm all over the place style of, G- of gene circle, I don't have to actually fight my problems like that. I, I haven't found one where I feel like I need to fight it head on, tackle it directly. So I don't know. I think I can creatively problem solve my way through not hitting that hard. I don't like not hit Pier- I still have two units of ten pierce strings. They're yeah. not twisted helix pierce strings. That's like another degree of damage, but these still hit pretty hard. I got double patriarchs. They hit pretty hard. Rock saws and, and drills—they hit pretty hard. Every Goliath truck, they matter, mm-hmm. you know. I, I hit. Yeah. Still adds up. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm um, man, I have got to admit, and normally I would turn to Steve here, but I'm I'm
0: starting to run out of questions. Man, John, I'll pretend to be Steve. We should ask me about my feelings. In part two, where we're talking about all the matchups and how I approach them, we'll take these lists. And we'll go through part two, each individual matchup. So how I've beaten Tao three times against even Mr. Siegs himself. Spoiler alert. Then we played um, how we play against admix, space marines, all those goodies. So check it out in part two. If you're a Warren member or a YouTube, you can subscribe there, or of course, on our Patreon and our website.
1: Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in part two. If not, we'll catch you next time. But uh do part two. Thank you so much, everyone.
0: Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com